Hi, it's Dave. Welcome. Today, I'm joined by Gary Black. He is the managing partner and founder of the Future Fund. He's been active on Twitter um, for the past few years. I'm talking about investing in and uh, Tesla. I've had him on my show a few times. I wanted to uh, welcome Gary Black back on the show to talk about some recent stuff happening with Twitter, Elon Musk, and also a recent survey by Morgan Stanley where they asked um, their top investors, what's the main reason for Tesla's recent stock kind of decline? So Gary, I um, want to welcome you back on the show. How have you been? Thanks, Dave. Good, yeah, good yeah. time to be awesome. a Tesla investor. It's kind of, you're, you're, uh -huh. you're kind of a crossroads one way or another. Yeah, yeah, it's been a crazy uh, past year with um, lots of stuff, a lot of volatility. Um, let's take a, a couple of steps back before we dive into Twitter and the survey that um, just came out by Morgan Stanley. Um, yeah, what do you? What's your kind of personal take on um, Tesla, the company versus Tesla's the stock? So, just yeah. a quick assessment: How is first Tesla the company doing right now yeah. uh, compared to let's say one year ago, and how does their prospects for the next one or two years look. And then after that, let's segue into Tesla stock price and the volatility we've seen the past uh, past year or so. So Tesla, the company is doing very well. Um, if you look at estimates, street estimates, and we track this stuff um, year to date, I think 22 estimates are up 43%. So from December 31st of last year to today, um, fiscal 23 estimates are up about 44%. And so from a fundamental standpoint, there was some worries about China because they missed volumes in the third quarter that has reversed. Uh, they're having a great fourth quarter. We got some data last night through November 27th and November is going to be the best second month of a quarter they've ever had. Um, they will probably finish with China um, deliveries in the 130-ish range, 130,000 range, and the exports are going to be a record. So. I think we're going to get pretty close to about 450 for the quarter. I know the streets at about 430 and, you know, estimates keep going up. So from a fundamental standpoint, I really can't find anything to pick on. Um, you know, there's some uncertainty with the $7,500 EV credit that goes in place uh, January 1st. There's some view that some people may wait, but, you know, Tesla still has a decent backlog in, in, in the U.S. and it can manage the getting people to take delivery by offering free supercharging. There's a lot of levers that can pull without cutting price to try to get people to take delivery in the fourth quarter. So I think from a fundamental standpoint, um, this is shaping up to be a good quarter. One other point I just want to make, since you asked the question, fourth quarter is usually the strongest for the stock. If you go back, and again, you can get this stuff on Bloomberg if you want to pay 2000 bucks a month, which I'm sure nobody wants to. But um, you can look at what quarter is the strongest from a stock price standpoint. Fourth quarter is usually very strong. It's because analysts start taking estimates up for next year. And we haven't really seen that yet. We haven't seen analysts start to raise estimates for next year. But I think as we get closer to the end of the year and people start thinking about how big this $7,500 EV credit is going to be for Tesla, because it's 100% of their volume, and they're the one most likely to benefit from it, um, I think you'll see people take estimates up for next year, and that'll push the, the stock yeah. price higher. I mean, it seems like a lot of analysts, um, they're scared to push estimates stuff for anyone or any company right now, just because of the uncertain macro situation going into 2023. Um, so I don't know, do I you guess. still think that analysts will be pushing estimates up for Tesla? I guess their estimates are quite low for 2023. Here's so. the thing, every, every year, I'm my numbers are always above the streets as we get into the beginning of the year. But as you get to the rest of the year, the analysts catch up with me. So right now I'm about where the street is. I haven't really changed my estimates for this year that much. 
for 2022, you know, people are at about 4.30. That's where I am. For next year, I'm at 7.20. The street's at 5.60. So if I look at, you know, the beginning of this year, so go back to this time last year, I was way above the street, and the street has come up. So to your point, the analysts don't do that. I, I don't think people are going to resist taking estimates up because of the economy. I think there's just so much noise with the stock right now that people get confused about price versus value. And, you know, the price has dropped, you know, pretty dramatically since the beginning of the year. But to your point, the estimates have gone straight up. So that means all the stock price is in the PE getting compressed. And that's that that gets to the heart of the Morgan Stanley paper is, you know, how much of it is fundamentals and how much of it is just noise, for lack of a better word, is yeah. causing the stock to act so badly this year. Uh, what do you think about this? Um, I think it seems like new and used, actually, especially used car prices are starting to trend down. Um, yeah. We've seen a big bubble pop in various kind of, you know, luxury good items. And so there could be some downward pressure in terms of pricing for Tesla's vehicles. In the U.S., it might be limited because, somewhat limited because of the $7,500 tax credit, which Tesla could be, you know, able to qualify for some or most of that. Um but other regions of the world, you know, um, you could have some, you know, maybe some weaker demand that requires, you know, a lowering of price. Maybe, you know, with the whole COVID situation and prices, you know, car prices, let's say in different regions, let's say had a temporary bump, but perhaps Tesla will need to lower prices to increase the demand, especially as they increase production. Could that hurt margins next year? And are investors or analysts, do you think concerned about that in terms of Tesla's ability yeah. to maintain, you know, or grow their margins next year? I think that's a recent event, and I think again, with analysts, they tend to a lot of times they tend to look at the price and then they kind of back into their models to you know figure out you know what they think a stock is worth. I don't see that, Dave. I, I don't. I know that that's kind of the the new way of thinking, but I don't. Unless you see a housing collapse globally, which I don't see. I think the Fed is smart enough to realize they've pushed up rates so high. You see this, this yield curve inversion, which is at a record level, whether you look at two-year versus 10-year or three-month versus 10-year. They're, they're at record numbers. And I think you know the next leg is going to be – it's one of the situations where I, I do agree with Kathy Woods a lot. You're going to see the Fed pivot, and I think it could pivot as soon as December, where they'll signal that the rate increases are going to be slower going forward. It'll still probably get to 5%. But they can bring us out of this recession pretty quickly if they slow down the rate of increases or just stop the rate of increases. So I'm, I'm not in the camp. And there's you know lots of charts that compare where we are today versus, say, 2008, 2009. Um, and then, of course, COVID was 2020. I'm not in the camp that this is going to be a deep recession. And therefore, I don't believe you're going to see slackening in luxury demand. I just I don't I don't see that today. I think people are more cautious and they're spending less, but with unemployment still below 4%, people are, people are not, they're not really reacting by, by slowing down their purchases of luxury goods. You do see car prices coming down. You do see housing prices coming down, but I think that's natural when the Fed pushes up rates. If you think of those, you know, long duration assets, you know, people can't afford to move. When I saw a chart yesterday, the, if you look at the average stock of 30 year mortgages, it's about 3.6%. If you were to go out and get a new mortgage today for 30 years, it's about 6.5%. That spread, which is about 300 base points, it's never been that wide before. So people aren't buying houses, and that's that's why you see a lot of pressure on homes. 
and used car prices, you know, they look—they just got too high. I don't—I don't see it as yeah. being um, softening demand, as you will. I, I just don't see that. Yeah. But yeah, look, the Fed I mean, can control it. The Fed can bring us out as quickly as they brought us in because they caused this recession. There was no, yeah. no fiscal reason why we should have gone into a recession. It was the Fed just worrying about COVID-driven um, cost-side inflation, and they really, in my opinion, they shouldn't have reacted as strongly as they did. But, you know, th this is where we are, and we have interest rates at, you know, very high levels. If you look at, again, the spread between a three-month Treasury bill and a 10-year, that spread, that yield curve inversion has never been higher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, it's definitely some good points there. I think there does seem to be, though, some type of pricing dynamics with some lux luxury goods. For example, like, you know, I got an RV right before COVID, and... Um, there was just this big, huge price bump with RV where after two and a half years of using it, I could sell it for significantly more than I bought it yeah. just, you know, a few years ago. And people like with Rolex watches just in the past, or it's starting to come down in the past, you know, several months. But like, for example, um, I have a friend who, who bought like a $200,000 supercar and, you know, um, he bought it for like a hundred thousand, but it jumped in price, you know, the past two years. Um, but that price, you know, it's if there if there was a price of those type of goods, it just had a big jump, and now it's starting to come back down to reality really? to probably match yeah. the the previous kind of you know price, um, what it should have increased over price over time. And it seems like Tesla was a benefactor in somewhat of of that in in some ways, especially in the U.S., where they're able to bump the price significantly in the past twelve months, but. Do you think they'll have to lower the price back to where it was before? Um, I, and, I don't see it. I mean, yeah. they took advantage of they had a lot of demand at the current price, so they were able to bump prices. But you also did see some raw material increases that they wanted to capture. And so I take Elon and, and Tesla at their word that as their cost of goods comes down, they do want to get prices lower. And look, there's a strategic benefit, as you know. To bringing prices back down to let's call it 30 to 35,000 because you're going to increase EV adoption so much quicker. But I don't see them doing it with Model 3 or Model Y. I think they're going to rely on a, we'll call it a $30,000 um, car, which, you know, now people are saying 2024. I think that's their their way of expanding their, their, their TAM and, and getting at the masses. And look, that's a classic way of leveraging your brand. Mercedes, Audi, BMW have all done it. You know, they have a premium brand and rather than cut price, they bring out a, a flanker product, as you call it, in marketing language. And they, you know, that, that's how they, they fight on price and expand their TAM. And I, I think yeah. that's what, what Tesla's going to do. I don't see them dramatically cutting price of existing Model 3, Model Y, other than if you've got some cost reductions that they can capture sure. to, to offset. So then margins stay the same. I, I think that's how it's going to play yeah. out next year. Um, do you think with um, FSD take rate, at least in North America, do you, do you foresee that take rate increasing next year as FSD improves? Or do you think, I don't know, Tesla just raises its price and there's still a pretty low take rate? Look, there, there's a lot of talk about what happens when FSD, we'll call it beta, goes national. I don't see take rates increasing that much because it's still a level 2.5 driver assist program the car does not drive itself you have to be despite what people say you have to you have to pay attention at all times 
And so therefore, it's not going to increase stickers, especially to your point at a $15,000 price or whatever. It's $199 a month. Um, I think that's that, that that price is very high compared to what you see other level two driver assist programs around the world. So I don't I don't see them increasing price and I don't see take rates going up dramatically. Um, there will be a revenue recognition the fourth quarter. It's probably about a billion dollars, but that's a one time item that everybody's going to back up. The real question is when it goes national and if somebody is ordering a Tesla and they have the option of buying FSD and they know they can use it immediately. Does that increase the take rate? It may by a couple sure. points, but I don't yeah. think it's going to be dramatic. I think in the U.S. right now, the take rate's about 13, 14%, maybe gets to 15. Globally, it's eight, mm -hmm. maybe gets to 10. But that's not a huge yeah. change from where we are. Um, okay, so with the one-time um, deferred revenue um, realization for FSD, do you think they'll take the full 900 uh, million or so in Q4, or do you think they will only realize maybe half of it or some of that because um, they still have the beta label on it. You know, it's not yeah. out of beta. What's your take on how much they'll realize know. in terms of- but, but It doesn't matter because either way, the analysts are going to back it out. So if they produce, make up a number, a dollar fifty in earnings, and that, let's call it a billion dollars, adds whatever, you know, four or $5 a share in earnings. I don't, I don't, I don't see that. Um, nobody's going to take that number seriously because it's not recurring. Right. So you're going to, it's not, yeah. it's not, a, it's like 30 That's cents true. in earnings you take. Yeah. They're just going to back mean, there it is out. A, yeah. I mean, there so is an element they, where, right, there is an element where, um, for example, um, if they, um, after, you know, FSDB comes out, they'll realize more percent of um, ongoing FSD sales, you know, yeah. so that could, change kind of the ongoing kind of revenue margin situation. It, maybe it's not significant right now, but um, it could be perhaps, you know, in future quarters. I just think they have to disclose it. And, you know, again, let's just again, do the math. If it's a billion, that's uh, 30 cents a share. And so would they tell us that 30 cents a share is due to FSD revenue recognition? It was one time they should. And, it, yeah, you know, and people yeah. will ask the question and then you'll see it in the 10Q because the 10Q you'll have to disclose it. And it's going to back it out. So you can't you can't think about it in terms of valuation. It's a one-time revenue recognition. So therefore, I wouldn't care if they take it all at once or they take it over a couple quarters. To me, I'd rather take it yeah. all at once. And so it, you know, it 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 shouldn't it shouldn't be viewed as a, a honeypot that you're gonna be able to, you know, dip into because then that's just gonna cause more annoyance that the quality of earnings is low. And you heard that after sure. last quarter. People said that the, the earnings quality is low, even though they beat the number. It was because the tax rate was low and I think the SG&A spend was low. And that's why you heard comments about earnings quality being low. And you don't want that if you're a Tesla investor. You want people to say earnings quality is high. So we've got this Morgan Stanley um, survey. I wanted to uh, get your take on this. So um, more Adam Jonas and Morgan Stanley released kind of a note that you tweeted out. I'll go ahead and link it in the, in the video description. But they basically interviewed um, uh, investors um, that they no and um they got 43 responses um and the two questions were how much of tesla's recent underperformance do you attribute to the twitter situation and question two is what impact do you believe elon musk's acquisition of twitter will have on tesla's business going forward so one is um tesla stock question and the other is more the company's tesla's 
company's prospects um, going forward. Right. So here's the results of this survey. Um, for the first question in terms of Tesla stock price, um, you have um, half or more, so 40% of the, the respondents said that um, half or more of the reason Tesla's stock price is underperforming is because of the Twitter situation. And then you have another third that says, hey, a good 20 to 30% is because of Twitter. And then the rest say it's, it's less than that. And then for the second question is, what impact will Twitter have on Tesla's business going forward? You have um, over half basically have said that it's going to be at least slightly negative. And then um, you have 19% saying it'll be very negative, right? So most investors that Morgan Stanley surveyed think that Twitter is not going to be good for Tesla's business going forward. So I wanted to just uh, bring this up and get your take on these two kind of issues here. So the first issue is being um, Tesla's, the impact on Tesla's stock price with Twitter. Um, do you think investors are correct? Do you think that's the right reason? Like, do you think over half of the kind of stock price, the, half of the the reason why Tesla has been underperforming the past few months is because of, test of Twitter? And if so, why do you think that? So one, I'm glad he separated the questions into one, which is the, the price of the stock versus the business, because a lot of analysts don't do that. Um, Second, so let's just start with some facts. So since the Twitter deal closed, which was October 28th, Tesla's down 20%, NASDAQ's flat, okay? And this is in three weeks. If you go back to when Elon first made his offer for $54.20 a share, so back to April 18th, Tesla's down 46, NASDAQ's down 17. So even if you beta adjust it, Tesla's beta is about 1.38. Tesla should be down about 23%. So there's something that is driving that difference. So again, go back to April 18th, Tesla's down 46, NASDAQ and then beta adjusted is down 23. And I would argue, you know, it's it's a good deal. It's the Twitter overhang. And look, the Twitter overhang is three things. It's one, will he have to sell shares or more shares? Two, is he going to get distracted because he's spending all his time at Twitter? And three, and this is the probably the most relevant question from a value standpoint, is it going to affect Tesla's business? Because people just don't like controversy. If you buy a a Tesla car, an EV, and you tend to be leftward leaning, do you like the fact you're driving a car that's controversial? And so I, I view the survey as kind of interesting, but is, is it, is it tell me the whole story? No, I can't tell you how much of the, let's say 46% decline since April is due to Twitter, because in the meantime, you had these concerns about China pricing, you know, show up in a third quarter, but that has since should be going away because again, they're, they're putting out blowout numbers. So I think there's a good group of PMs out there who just hate the noise, like advertisers. <laughs> they just don't like the noise in owning a stock that, you know, if you look at revisions, they're positive. They're positive. If you go back to April 18th, I looked at this before, revisions since April 18th are up for, for 22, up 18%. And for, nine, for 23, they're up 19%. And yet the stock is down 46%, which means you've had huge PE compression. And you can say, well, that's just the Fed. But you should see that in NASDAQ stocks too, right? So you've seen it far more in Tesla than you have in NASDAQ. So I do believe there's a big chunk of Tesla's, we'll call it underperformance versus beta adjusted NASDAQ that is due to this Twitter overhang. Now, is it rational? No. When you try to go through the math and say, okay, let's, let's just look at the Twitter numbers, 
the Twitter numbers, if you take 50% reduction in ad revenue, which is probably conservative, but if you take a 50% reduction in the cost and you add the new interest expense, Twitter is bleeding about a billion three per year. So is it rational that people are assuming that Elon's going to have to sell more than what he's sold so far? Remember, he just sold $4 billion of Tesla stock. Um, he sold $20 billion in, in, since April. I don't think he's going to have to sell more if they're only bleeding out, let's call it a billion and a half a year. And I look, they, people who, who use Twitter on the desktop can see that the ads really haven't decreased that much. They've probably had to take rates down a lot. So I think the people worry that he's going to sell more stock they're overplaying that because it's not really bleeding that much cash any, in, anymore because the costs have gone down so much. The bigger issue is, and I can't answer this, is because of all the controversy and you have a left-leaning uh, group of people who buy Teslas and buy EVs, is it going to cause people to buy fewer Teslas? I don't believe so. I actually don't think, you know, Elon being on, t on Twitter every day and talking so much and on CNBC every two minutes, I don't think it really impacts Tesla demand. So I do mm -hmm. think it's being irrational. And I think if Elon would just stay off of Twitter and stop talking about, you know, advertisers and, you know, beating up on Apple and doing the crazy things he's doing, I think the noise would die out as it seemed to be last week and let the fundamentals rain. And if the fundamentals rain, you'll, you'll see Tesla's stock price will go up. So I, I do think people are, are over discounting for a deterioration in fundamentals. But I do think the survey is accurate. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, yeah, I mean, that's what you're saying is, on one hand, it seems like the that's the sentiment, right? Um, generally speaking, that there is some correlation or significant correlation, right, with Twitter and Tesla stock price uh, underperformance. But in your opinion, um, it could be somewhat overblown in terms of, you know, the actual impact that Tesla has on the actual impact that Twitter has on Tesla's, let's say, demand or fundamentals or things like that. That's the gist of it. What's interesting, what's interesting to me is Adam Jonas is a bull uh, on Tesla yeah. stock. He's got a $330 price target. And look, I grew up in the institutional world. And there's two huge differences about institutional people versus retail people. The first is that you value when people put out negative type research reports like this. Because you, as an institutional investor, you want to know both the upside and the downside. And you're constantly thinking about upside, downside. So kudos to Adam Jonas for at least putting it out there, even though people were beating them, up, beating them up on it. The other big difference with institutional people, you can love the product but hate the stock price. This gets into the whole Charlie Munger. He loves Tesla and what Tesla's done, been able to do. But they will never buy Tesla stock because they don't like the price, right? Because they believe that there's reversion to the mean and growth. And so I think you got to always remember that when you read an institutional report, that Adam is just doing the best job he can because that's what institutions pay him to do. He gets paid on commissions. He collects commissions. You know, when, when, when they trade with Morgan Stanley, that's how he gets paid. So he's going to put out negative reports, but it doesn't mean that he's not a bull. He's still very much bullish when he has an 80% upside target. So sure, I just want to bring sure, that yeah. up because people forget yeah, that all yeah, the time. I've, they forget yeah, that with no, me. That's, uh, yeah, no, I've seen that actually over time. Um, as well. Um, so why do you think, um, moving on to a little bit to, to Twitter, um, there seems to be a, a kind of this debate or this a controversy over um, advertisers leaving Twitter. And um, you've been saying that it's because, you know, Twitter isn't brand safe, 
for some advertisers. And that's what perception, some advertisers perception. have been saying too. Yeah, perception. perception. Um, how about this other angle? And that would be um, lots of people in companies, they just don't like Elon Musk and they don't like his views. They think he's dangerous to a lot of liberal agenda and he's dangerous to the political landscape of America, meaning he is empowering the right more. And by empowering the right, he's empowering also extremists that are in the right kind of you know groupings. And that's a threat to democracy, the threat to freedom in their view, um, a threat to many, many rights of you know people. And they just don't like Elon and what he stands for. And when he has taken over Twitter, and enforcing right his views, his values, etc. They are pushing away from that, and a lot of them are taking a break. Some of them might be temporary; they might come back. They might come back in different budgets or different forms, etc. But to say that it's not brand safe to me, that's more of a minor reason. The more bigger reason could be they just don't like him and what he stands for and all the everything about what's happened with Twitter. They just don't like it, yeah. and they want to you know distance themselves, push themselves back. I don't know if it's really a brand perception issue though. I mean, what's your take on all this? You're living in a bubble, Dave. <laughs> I mean, I talk to advertisers. I've talked to three or four regularly uh -huh. since this all started. Nobody talks like you just talked that, you know, they're being pushed around by the left and saying, because- uh, No you know, one's going to say it. Yeah, what? no one's going to say that. No one's going to say but, that. But no, nobody talks like that. And I talk to people because these are people that I've known for years because yeah. I grew <laughs> up in that world, okay? So yeah. the point is, when, when an advertiser is talking about brand safety, and I call it product adjacency because that's what we used to call it. It's like, let's suppose you have an HBO show called, what's called Black Lotus, okay? And it's got terrible ratings and you spice it up. You put more sex in, you put more violence in and the ratings go through the roof, okay? The advertisers are still not gonna advertise. In fact, they'll probably advertise less on it because they're afraid where their product is gonna show up, you know, next to some, you know, which is an ad next to some some violent scene. Think about what happened a couple of weeks ago where Elon put out this $8, I guess he wasn't verifying people, and you had Super Mario or Mario with his finger extended for a couple hours. If you were an advertiser, you worry about your product being located next to that tweet. And so that's all advertisers worry about. Yeah, they want ROI. That's probably the most important thing. So if they spend a dollar, they want to get a dollar back or more than a dollar. And they, but they worry about their brand being perceived as unsafe because they're next to something that's viewed as unsafe. And so that brand safety or product adjacency concern, you hear that every time you talk to an advertiser. And that's what they worry about incessantly. So when you say it's minor, that's, that's, that sounds bizarre to me because that's like well, okay. all they care about. Okay. Well, actually, I mean, I would, okay. I have some, okay. So let's take this, like, for example, um, you know, Elon has, you, you can even take the different, let's say, metrics of hate speech, et cetera. There was this one, you know, spike when, when Elon, um, I think the first week or so, and there might be, a, have been a spike when the whole $8 kind of fiasco, but overall, all that stuff has been trending down over time, right? And the things that Elon says, he's one person on the platform. If you look at the platform itself, has it become more violent? Has it become more whatever? No, it hasn't, right? The platform really it's hasn't worry. changed. It's a worry. Right? It's a worry. It's a, it's a perception. It's a, it's a, a lot of it, I think, 
Yeah, it, it, some people can argue it's an imagined perception that they, they think that it's become a dangerous place, let's say. But in reality, if you look at the metrics, it's not become more violent, right? It's not become like the, the, the things are actually trending, I think, in the right direction. A lot of the, the if, it, if a company is going to cut all advertising practically, like Apple, I don't think that is coming from a low level advertising. It's coming from the top. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. the management is making some clear decisions regarding that type of big decision to, 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 sh to completely pause, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever. I mean, that's a big decision. And that's what I'm saying is that management, I think sometimes they make decisions and there's personal issues that, that there's these companies, they have a lot of values, you know, um, that they stand for. And they, a lot of them are politically open and very unapologetic about the certain values that they hold. And those, why can't it be analytical? Feel... Why can't it be analytical, Dave? Why does it have to be about politics? Why can't it just be a pure mathematical calculation that says, I don't know what the return's going to be if, if I'm, if I'm, because they have no idea yeah. when they place their ad where it's going to, where it's going to show up next to. But if it shows up against, you know, somebody who's tweeting about, again, I'm making this up, violence yeah. or um, something well, that, that's that, but that's that's what they're worrying about. No, but that's what I'm saying. That all the metrics show that that stuff is all trending down, actually. So you're, the you're, objective you're facts. Forward. Look forward. Look down. forward. If, if 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 Elon allows, for instance, Donald Trump to come back on, and Kanye West to uh -huh. come back on, and the 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 amount of again, we'll call it yeah. bad tweets or harmful tweets yeah. increases. Don't you think the 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 advertiser is going to think about going forward where? This is easily solvable, by the way. Okay, yeah. you go out one on one. How many advertisers does Twitter have that capture eighty or ninety percent of their ad spending? It might be a hundred or two hundred. You go out one on one and talk to them and assure them we're not going to allow that type of, you know, content moderation to happen. But they're not doing that, and that's what you keep reading on. You know, as people post stuff, that nobody yeah. from Twitter is doing that. Nobody's talking to them about it, and that, that's all that Elon and his team need to do is go out and talk to all these advertisers and assure them that they're not going to allow the platform to be, you know, run by a bunch of, you know, mob people who want to gang up on folks. And again, yeah. I go back to, if I had a show and I wanted to change it, I could get more eyeballs. I could get more people to watch it. But if, if you're afraid as an advertiser that your product or your brand is going to be next to something that, you know, doesn't reflect well on it, you're not going to advertise. And, it's not about politics. I'm telling you, advertisers don't think about it that way. Most of them are pretty in the middle. I mean, there are some that are left, but there are some that are right. The ones that I talk to tend to be more conservative. They're just afraid that their product is going to land next to some tweet that is either, you know, talking yeah. about violence or talking about something that is controversial. And there's a lot of advertisers who don't want to be lined up against something controversial. That's the bottom line. Yeah. It's about yeah. controversy. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would say that, I mean, I, I think it's somewhat mixed. And I would say that, you know, there's, I, I would say that the practitioners in advertising think like you think like what you're saying. Um, but I also think there is a political element, a value element, um, especially as you go higher up for the, the top of the top, um, the actual people who are, who the CEOs and the board, um, who have strong political leanings and values. And, and and the direction of Twitter is not, they're not agreeable. They're not happy with that. And I'm not saying they're not, they're not going to 
advertise forever. I'm just saying a pullback that makes I understand why they're doing that. You know, they're yeah, they're pausing. And, they're pausing. Yeah, they're pausing. They and I agree with you that I agree with you that Twitter should go to these people and and assure them that violence and all this stuff, you know, hate speech is going to trend down even further and show them the stats, show them what they're doing, assure them, right, the platform is even going to be better and healthier going forward. But I mean, I guess it's a moot point in some ways, like who cares why some advertisers left? I mean, it's all speculation. They pay the <laughs> um, bills. They pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the question is how can they bring back, or, you know, advertisers? Um, do they even, I don't know, will Elon even try to bring back, you know, I, mean, I guess to, he has to, 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 um, to a certain extent. The TAM for subscriptions and we'll call it e-commerce on Twitter is, is is not as great as it is, say, on you know YouTube. It's just it's not as high. Mm -hmm. And even if you take a three percent assumption, which is YouTube's, you know, people who pay for premium YouTube, that would only double what the subscription uh, revenues were. So if you look at the first six months, advertising revenue was two point two billion, and subscriptions was one hundred ninety five million. So double it to YouTube's number. Then you're at four hundred million and if advertising drops from 2.2 to you know half you're, you're still nowhere close to to making what you were going to make now maybe elon doesn't care and that's why you yeah, got to go back yeah. to okay assume a worst case scenario that all the advertisers leave how much is elon yeah. going to have to cough up by selling tesla shares and then you're probably in a number that's about three billion a year i mean it's not a huge number right so maybe he doesn't care maybe he just doesn't want to be dependent on advertisers but i think it's an easy fix you just got to do the work yeah. And you got to go out and you got to talk to the advertisers. One of them. They're analytical, rational people. And by the way, most of them, they respect Elon because he's disruptive and they, they appreciate what he's trying to do. And a lot of them just love Twitter. And all I'm saying is if you pick the 200 advertisers on Twitter who probably contribute 80% of the ad spending, go out and talk to one-on-one, -on -one, you probably can get them to see your view as long as you make promises that you can keep, that you're not going to allow people back up that start you know, espousing violence and other things that advertisers yes. don't like. But it can yeah. be done, and I, I just don't get the sense they're doing that. Yeah, I mean, again, maybe he doesn't care. You know, he'll just think. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah. He likes writing a $4 billion check each year, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean. I just find it odd. Yeah, yeah. Odd um, behavior. Maybe he has me. some other ideas of some revenue generating projects, too. I don't know. Um, you know okay. I was going to say, ahead. I've talked to a few of them in the last uh, couple of weeks since this all started, mm -hmm. and they all say the same thing, that he's had a couple calls with them one-on-one, -on -one, and then he gave out his email and said, if you want to talk more to me, you know, write me. And, they, you know, he, they mm -hmm. could write to his his team, his his leadership yeah. team. And they all would like to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with him or at least a one-on-one -on -one call with him. So they're not talking with 100 other advertisers. But they don't get the sense that they're going to get a response. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't – to be honest, I don't know if it's worth Elon's time to be spending, like – 20 hours a week talking to, you know, advertisers and see their but CEOs. For $4 billion a year, is it worth it? Yeah, I don't, I, I would say forget it, just move on. <laughs> but I don't You're know. World has, $4 billion is a yeah, lot of money to me. Yeah, he, he, I mean, if he, if he, if he does what he's, he says he does, he's going to do with the engineering of the new features and with new products inside Twitter, um, five years from now, I think Twitter will be a complete, I mean, yeah, it would be a, There'll be a cash cow, in my opinion. But I mean, there is this: how much pain does is he willing to endure? How much cash is he willing to, you know, put into the company? And that will determine how much he 
he needs to continue its current business model in terms of advertising, right? Um, and it's up to him, right? Because he owns the company. Now, how much of a take rate are you assuming when you say that, Dave? Right? If right now no, they the have a take is, rate of one percent, what what do you think the take rate is going to be? Ten, where the people are willing to no, pay for? No, it's not. It's not even the take rate of, for example, because yeah, I have a, I have a decent amount of experience with take rates with um. Yeah, um, sure. You have. Yeah, I've done. I mean, you advertise. Yeah, yeah, I, I've. We have, I've done mobile software advertising, millions of users. We, we know our take rates, all that stuff. Um, the thing that people aren't that, and I don't even think that, you know, I don't expect people to give Elon the benefit of the doubt here because, but what Elon is intending on doing, I think, is actually revamping the product so significantly that it's like, there's going to be so many other parts of the app that, for example, you know, he's talking about not just video, but he's talking about payments, he's talking about messaging, he's talking about adding actually like Twitter times 10 or 100 or 50 in terms, terms of the value over time, right? Over the long term. Yeah. And the question is, it's sure, take rate, it's hard to get over two or 3%, you know? I mean, take rate on a premium product that people think it's, they're using it for free. You know, you're not going to get typically 10% unless yeah. it's some, yeah, it, it's difficult. And so but the question is, how much value can Twitter give? How fast can they increase the value and the features that people give over time? In a year, can Tesla or can Twitter really give so much more value that even with a three percent take rate, they can actually get they can charge even more or in different different types of products too? So it's so unclear right now because it's all in Elon's head, and he hasn't completely laid out a, a, a complete you know strategy, et cetera, for people. So I don't expect people to give him the benefit of the doubt in that, but um, that's where it's like, there's a lot of unknowns. You know, Elon is even talking about seeing a clear path to a billion users in like 12 to 18 months, which I don't think is possible, but I, who knows, maybe in three or four years, can they can they 4X their, their, us, their user base? Who knows, you know? And if you just do a 3% take rate off of that, but you 4X your user base in, in yeah, that's a big years, number. that changes, yeah, it changes the equation too. So there's a lot of variables, I think. Um, last topic I want to talk about is should Tesla management and the board really care about short-term stock price? In other no. words, what I'm referring to no. is a stock buyback, meaning yeah. do they, should they feel pressured to consider a stock buyback in the next few months because Tesla stock price is low? Or should they just push it off and just say, hey, we've got an uncertain macro situation. Let's wait a few more, a quarter or two see more cash flow and then make a decision on stock buyback what's your take on that well again you 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 loaded the question and to me they're two separate questions i disagree strongly that a buyback is a short-term maneuver to in increase the stock price it just happens to be the best use of cash and so if, if you if you say take all the capital spending on bots and solar and you know putting out more superchargers um buying more gigafactories and building them I would much rather they do that, but that's capital spending. I'm talking about after all of that stuff, what they have left, they can either put it in cash, they can pay down debt, they can pay out dividends, they could buy back stock or they could make acquisitions. And that number right now, they have 21 billion of cash at the end of third quarter. They're going to generate another 4 billion in the fourth quarter. Then they're going to generate another 20 billion after all that capital spending, which I'd rather them do that, quite frankly, because it's a higher IRR, total rate of return. They're going to have another $20 billion next year. So what are they going to do with all that cash? I don't want them investing in cash at 4%. And I certainly don't want them going out and making big acquisitions. And there's no debt to pay down. <laughs> I don't like dividends because dividends are 
you know, they're rigid and you can't like shut them on and off. So it's like, what do you do with all that cash as it spits out? I don't want it to go into cash. So to me, buy back the stock, the internal rate of return, if you could buy stock at 180 and you go out to say 2026 20, and you look at how much earnings they're going to have, you put a 30 multiple on it. I'm coming up with about 27, 28% internal rate of return. That's huge. Okay. If you believe the earnings are going to continue to explode. So to me, it's not a short-term way of maneuvering the stock, but I don't think they should care about the short-term stock price. But I think from an institutional standpoint, people very much care about capital allocation. And if they're going to go out and make big acquisitions with the cash, that's not, most acquisitions don't work. And if they're just going to let the cash build up at 4%, that's a misuse of shareholder capital. If they're going to buy, of course, more Bitcoin or something, you know, institutions are going to leave again because that's just, you know, that's not a good use of, of shareholder resources because shareholders could do that themselves. So it really comes down to what's the alternative. And the alternative is they let it build up as cash, which nobody wants to see that. So yeah, I, I view a buyback as the best use of cash. But if they can find more gigafactories or yeah. really perfect a bot or, or add more supercharging stations, I would rather they do that than buy back stock yeah. any day of the week. But I'm assuming yeah. I, I, after they do all think, that stuff, they still have cash yeah. left over. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the 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 there's two different issues. One is the actual stock or stock buyback as a kind of a practice, a long-term practice, right? Um, that they initiate over time. They're giving back. I mean, that, I mean, as they grow cash, they're gonna have to figure out what to do. Elon seems to have already made up his mind. He thinks that you know stock buybacks is you know gonna be a main a major form of that this the other the second issue which is kind of more the question is the timing of when the board should take up that decision should they feel pressure to take up that decision now next month well there's a benefit or, as you know there's a benefit to doing it or, now dave go ahead okay yeah, or just wait let's say six months or so and say that hey we're right now we're in a tenuous macro situation we could be entering a recession Let's just wait six months and take up this decision in six months. Like, is there any reason why you think the board should take up the decision right now? There's two reasons. One, you have an excise tax that goes into place after the end of the year. So they're going to have to pay 1% on anything they buy back. So that's a hundred million bucks if they buy back $10 billion. Two, and perhaps more importantly, once the macro clouds lift and you get a lot of these catalysts in place, the stock price isn't going to be $180 anymore. So that return number I gave you, if you're buying back at 180, is very different if you're buying back at 250. So you want to be buying low and quote unquote selling high. I think at $180, the stock is a steal because you get a very high rate of return if you buy it today at $180. And I think that's what the board, if they have a financial background, that's how they're trained to think about things. You buy it cheaper, you don't you don't buy it after it's gone up so much. Yeah, but I mean, on okay, the first point, excise tax, I mean, it's, it doesn't, I mean, it's a 1%. It's not like, you know, 10, 20. It's still I mean, 100 million bucks. Yeah, I, I mean, does it does it apply to um, the stock that, do you have to buy back this year for that to apply? Meaning apparently, if the, apparently. Then I haven't looked at it. Obviously, they're not going to buy back 10 billion this year, right? Well, they could. They could do what they call an so, accelerated buyback. But to your point, that smacks yeah, it's too much, much lower like trying to manipulate the, the short-term yeah. stock price. And I don't, I don't want them to do that. I don't yeah. really care if they start this year or not. And to me, that's to, to your point, it's a secondary yeah. effect. I just think rather than let cash continue to build at 4% return, I would rather they earn yeah. 20, 25% return. What I don't want them doing is saying, Hey, we've got $40 billion in cash. Let's go buy something for $30 yeah. billion. 
And look, the, the question is, what do you do with the cash? And you have to think about it that way. If, if, you can, if you can hire more people who think about the business and say, let's accelerate the number of gigafactories we have and let's accelerate the number. Maybe, maybe we buy one of the, the big charging out, um, uh, stocks and replace them all with superchargers so you have very fast supercharging. Maybe that's a, a good acquisition. If they did that, I wouldn't mind. That'd be okay. But I usually when companies make acquisitions, like they do stupid things, mm -hmm. like they buy a restaurant chain or something, you know, that would be terrible. Yeah. And that's my worry that if they've got cash on the balance sheet, they're going to make dumb acquisitions because some people may want to diversify. I, as an institution, mm -hmm. don't want them buying some restaurant yeah. chain because I could buy the restaurant chain myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think Elon will buy a restaurant chain, but we'll see. Um, we've heard, <laughs> we've heard stuff like that, though, as you know, Dave. <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, a lot of stuff is rumors. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, Gary, it's been fun. Um, actually, I, I loved uh, discussing stuff like this. Um, I think, yeah, good, good topics, good view, points of view, and different directions. And um, yeah, I think that's the cool thing about investing is you can have different perspectives, you can have different views, um, you can learn from different things, and you make your own decision, take your own responsibilities in terms of you know how you project. You know things in the future and that's that's the beauty of investing you know um uh i could be 100 percent wrong you could be all wrong it could be some someone else who gets has more i don't know it's just so fascinating the game of investing um but yeah i definitely uh, appreciate you coming on and sharing kind of you know your views and discussing as well thanks dave all right thanks gary we'll talk Take later care. bye bye, -bye.